Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I always wanted to make myself think. I always kind of wanted to, you know, go, okay, hang on a minute. What am I not seeing here? I know you're here, he's there, he's there. I know certain obvious things, but what am I missing? What am I not being told here? What am I not telling you? What is the mystery here? And I usually think there's a mystery to every person and to every conversation. There's always a subtext. And I'm fascinated with the subtext, so I try and write about it. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We're your hosts. I'm Shaggy Jason. And I'm Peter Zimmerman. And on today's episode, we're talking about Graveyard, a B-side from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. He, 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 I said, don't even let this gun that's hate to that old man. I'm coming in the graveyard with my... Hey, Peter, how are you doing? Hi, Shags. Good I'm to see good. you. It's good to see you. You too. Oh, what have it's you been up to? good to see you in person. Oh, I know. It's been so long. Shaggy and I have been texting nonstop because Jenny Lewis just put out a new album. I know it's not a Tori Amos album, no, but no. uh, but another one of our favorites. So we've been redhead. constantly talking. We should probably just start a Jenny Lewis podcast after this. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we really don't have a choice. We don't. Yeah. That's next. Good I'll top all the other podcasts we already do. See you in eight years. We'll Seriously. be ready. Okay. So today, we're doing something very special for this episode. We're taking a retreat from our retreat. Got to get away from the beach. Yes. Sometimes you can get too much beach. Too much beach, too much sunburn. Sand gets everywhere. Even though we've been mostly inside. Exactly. Eating a lot of chips. So many chips. Well, that was mostly me. Um, But yes, do you want to tell our guests where we are, Peter? Sure. We're actually in a very historic spot in a graveyard. Boo! But not just any graveyard. Not just any graveyard. Nope. No, no, no. We are at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Forever and ever. Right next to Miss Judy Garland. The best. Very exciting. Estelle Getty is a mere stone's throw away for any Golden Girls fans. They all are. Everyone's a Golden Girls fan. Yeah. Um, But yes, Judy has actually played quite an important role in Tori's work. That's what they say. Yes. Actually possibly referenced more than anyone else in your her work would you say i think so yeah because we have happy phantom yeah i mean she's she comes throughout i mean and not only that but the fact that over the rainbow is one of those songs that has continued to be a major part of her live show Mm -hmm. i mean judy keeps popping up not the red baron not the red baron have yourself a merry little Christmas. Okay, fine. You're just going for it, aren't you? I am. I'm going all <laughs> I out. I love it. <laughs> and then also Oysters, the Ruby Slippers yep, part. Yep, back in. Which I was remembering when we decided to do this next to Judy, I remembered um, Jacksonville 2014 when she was singing Oysters and she got to the Ruby Slippers part. Oh, and in then, Oregon. Like, yeah, something yeah. clicked in her mind when she was like, wait, wait, I have a song. I have another one that's connected to this. <laughs> And you could just see the wheels working. And then she like was like, Mark, I'm going to play another one. After that, she went to Over the Rainbow. But it was kind of funny how like <laughs> she maybe didn't put the two together before that. I finally saw the connection. Yeah. In the that moment. That was kind of funny. 
That was also a fun show because we were sitting on the grass mere feet away from her. It's a bit... like a hundred degree weather. Yeah, it's got a little awkward. Where the stage was only like a foot tall. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a different show. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. But I was remembering that. So yeah, we paid our respects to It felt to very Judy. Lilith Fair, which I loved. Like a, on a one-tenth of a scale, yeah. stage-wise. Like I got to take my shoes off. And that oh, was that pretty was amazing. fun. Yeah. I took my shoes off just now. Are you wearing shoes right now? Should no, we? I took them off. <gasps> I don't need shoes to follow you. <laughs> it's just like really helping you be grounded too. Very grounded. Awesome. Um, for those who have not been to Hollywood forever, it's a very spacious cemetery. Um, they do a lot of events here. They show movies here. Yeah, usually during the summer. Yeah, it's really fun to up. see movies that have been filmed in L.A. or are in L.A. here because there's palm trees everywhere. So they did a thing earlier with the marvelous Mrs. Maisel where they previewed season two here. And <gasps> they recreated, they made it seem like part of the season they had like... 1950s hot dog vendors and oh all yeah sorts they, of stuff. they really go all out here. They played uh, Almost Famous last year. Oh yeah, yes, that's a good one. And you went to another one recently here. Right? Uh, Death Becomes Her. Oh my God, amazing! And Mulholland Drive. Ugh. my favorite. Yeah, that was great. Just in the shadow of Mulholland yes. Drive. Yes, and speaking of David Lynch, also uh, Judy Garland was a big influence on him. Mm. Wizard of Oz is featured prominently throughout Wild at Heart. Oh, yeah. And then a lot of Judy references in Twin Peaks as well. We also are just, you can see the Paramount Pictures water. It's like a water silo. world set or yeah. something. Who stuck knows? from the 90s. So for all the Hollywood yeah. starlets, we're just mere feet away from their next role. Oh, and also we should mention that when we came into the cemetery, they were playing bagpipes. That oh, sounded yeah. very similar to ATN. It kind of put me in the mood for some boys for Pele. It did. Don't you think? It did. It's like, what year is this again? 96? Okay, I'm here. Definitely I'm felt like I was back in Ireland. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You know, palm trees be down. <laughs> We're in Ireland. Well, I'm not looking at the palm trees. I'm just looking at you, Shaggy. Oh, just look into my eyes. Mm. Very hypnotic. Okay. Shall we get time. started? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so, Graveyard. Peter, when was the first time you heard Graveyard? Actually, I think Graveyard, I didn't hear until I actually heard the Camden 99 boot. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got into Tori in 2000, and 2001, I first started collecting bootlegs. And when I remember, you were 12. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was an embryo, and I got the 1999 bootlegs after the 2001 tour because I needed something, needed my mm -hmm. fix. And I thought a lot of it sounded, you know, the bootlegs back then, like, they started to sound the same, and then all of a sudden, you just had Graveyard pop out of nowhere. It's striking. Yeah. All the other ones. Like there's something very, it's so simple, but kind of packs a punch. It sounds familiar when you listen to it. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me exactly like it just ended from the album, just kept on going, mm -hmm. which I think sometimes, you know, B-sides before this definitely had their own sound or their own even production style. And mm -hmm. this one definitely just felt, I think a lot of the Pele B-sides have that feeling like. It just came right from the album. You know, yeah. you just finished Twinkle and you're into this. Yeah. A lot of the B-sides kind of have that general vibe, I think, where it's just like there's not a lot of production to them. They were all just kind of recorded in the moment. Yeah. That spontaneity is really, I think, something that a lot of people find so exciting about Tori, that mm -hmm. you can just essentially press record and what you get is yeah. something that's not only 
worth putting out, but we're still talking about absolutely <laughs> 25 years later. And who knew? Sometimes yeah. you can't even remember some of them now. <laughs> like poor Samurai. We already heard our episode on Samurai. We didn't do an episode named Samurai. I don't. I don't think so. No, she doesn't have a song called Samurai. So don't ask her about it, folks. We've forgotten. She's forgotten. Yeah. Anyways, back to Graveyard. Back to Graveyard. I was stunned the first time I heard this song. I was too. I had a friend who worked at the warehouse record shop oh, yeah. back in the 90s. And she got the Carl C single before they even put it out on the shelf and got me one. Because I certainly got three <laughs> copies. <laughs> And she bought one, got me one, so I don't know who got the third, but <laughs> lucky them. Um, so I got to hear it in December 95 when it came, when the single came out, or like was about to come out. Oh, yeah. And so I remember hearing Carlite Sneezing and then the Silly Songs after that. And that was the Silly Song out of all of them that I kind of liked the most. So Peter, mm-hmm. if you were to put Graveyard on the album, where would you put it? That's a good question. See, to me, it makes sense that it doesn't exist on the album. Actually, so I never once have thought of it as going on Pele, because to me, the track sequencing and Graveyard, musically, they don't fit how I see that the music works. Mm -hmm. That said, if I had to do it, I'd put it right before Twinkle, I think. Interesting. I think I would switch out Agent Orange with Graveyard. Mm. I also know putting it before Twinkle wouldn't have made sense with the vinyl sequencing, <laughs> but if we have to go sonically, would it have been too, um, I guess, on point to put it before Marianne? I mean, she's put it before Marianne before live, so maybe not. Only once, though. Only once. Only once, and we'll get to that much later in the show. Much later, two hours later into the show. Get ready. Yes, because we got a lot to talk about. Are you live hydrating? Versions. I am. I got my Coca-Cola. Ooh. Yes. Spicy. Yes. Sorry, I'm transfixed. There's a squirrel I know, there's a running squirrel behind just me. hopping around the graveyard right now. He looks pretty Strange well fed. squirrel, where are you going? <laughs> Before we get started, we would like to say thank you to Shay Stymac. Thank you, Shay. As always, we could not do this without you putting together the notes for the show. So let's begin. Here's a cover of Graveyard by Uzeel212. We found it on SoundCloud, and of course, we'll link to it on our show notes at songsoftoriamos.com. Enjoy. intelligence at all you have to figure that living this little life Mm -hmm. just doesn't get you to sit with Jesus and discuss I mean it's about soul growth as far as I'm concerned you keep just traveling around and matter keeps reforming and that just makes a lot of logical sense that was a bit from K-Rock Los Angeles on February 9th 1996 
Peter, what do you think about Jesus and soul growth? Whew. I mean, I guess if there's one album about soul growth, it's this one. It really is. I don't know what Jesus has to do with it. I don't really see a lot of, I mean, aside from Muhammad, my friend, I don't really see a lot of religion in this album. What I actually like about so much of this album is there is discussion of Jesus, but there's discussion of so much else and all of the other mythologies that sometimes get stacked on top of by Christianity. And so getting to talk about like Egyptian gods and goddesses and Hawaiian gods and goddesses. Just like Inanna. Just like Inanna. And speaking of Inanna, Graveyard appears on almost all the Collate Snee singles. So the first one that came out was the U.S. single, January 2nd, 1996. And then shortly after was the European single, and then the Australian cassette single, and then the UK cassette single. Always interestingly followed by Toodles' Mr. Jim. I think that's kind of an interesting pairing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of the, the B-sides and Pele actually work really well together, despite the track sequencing. But I think Graveyard and Toodles especially have that connection that more so than almost any of the other B-sides, don't you think? I do. I think... I don't necessarily think they're about the same subject mm-hmm. matter. Like, I don't think Graveyard is about Mr. Jim, um, but I think they pair very well together. They do. They share a lot of the same space, I feel like. Yeah. And then Graveyard doesn't make an appearance again until November 2016 with the Boys for Pele Deluxe Edition. That's true. Not even on one of the live recordings no. that she released. No. Yeah, kind of interesting. Was it, I don't think it was even on any Legs and Boots. No, because um, she only played it once in 2007. Right. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Not on a piano. Not on Tales of a Librarian. Well, it's so long. You know, there's just oh, not space for it. Not enough room. They yeah. really had to trim some of those reconditioned tracks. It's called editing, you know. So really the closest thing we got to an official live release was really the Balwaz sessions in 2015. Is it Balwaz or? Bal. Bal. Balois. Bal. Balois. Wait, so what language are you saying? I don't know what language I'm speaking right now, honestly. Am I speaking English? What language? No, Dutch. Shall we do the quotes? I'm ready. Okay. So from Details Magazine, August 1996. With Papa, there was a spirit in all things. You have a relationship with the spirit world or you have nothing. People try and make other people feel bad about getting in touch with their souls and their spirit. You get it a lot, especially in the cynical media. When people cut themselves off from everything except what they can touch, they are cancerous. The sad thing is, that's really evil. Evil to yourself. Thoughts? So there she's talking about her grandfather, Papa, right? Yeah. So we're talking about having different understanding of the spirit world than potentially her father would, right? Yes, because Papa was Native American. Exactly, instead of necessarily a Christian idea of Mm -hmm. what your spirit world is, right? Which is just that that spirit essentially has gone to God and isn't exactly with you anymore in any concrete way, right? Yeah. I think Graveyard, though, talks about other ways of spirits sort of existing with us and how do we access that? And and I think a lot of this quote is talking about that of how do you cut yourself off from your own spirit world or your own spirit itself? Yeah, I agree. You want to take the next quote? Sure. From my favorite, B-Side Magazine from May-June 1996. We know how much we love B-Side Magazine, and I thought I'd never be able to quote from it again. Welcome back, old friend. Anyway, this is from B-Side Magazine, May-June 1996. I think you conjure up energy. You go to the vortex. That's why certain events happen in certain places. There are reasons why certain breakthroughs happen in certain countries. 
There are reasons why certain darkness or evil gets generated over and over again in a certain spot. And so I don't assume to know why that is, but I trust it and go with it. What do you think about that, Shags? Very Tory to discuss energy in certain places. And the word vortex. Vortex. We love that word. Mm. Um, Because that's what she also talks about with shows. Like there's a certain energy in the audience that she gives back. Right. So she kind of relays that outside of concerts, too. She talked, I think, to me, this is one of the first times this album where she really focused on energy when talking about it in promo moments. Oh, yeah. That EPK, EPK. Boys for Pele. Yep. And I think a lot of people, when they think of the creative process, if they're not artists, they think that it just sort of comes out of nowhere. And it's not that you've actually placed yourself in a spot to conjure that energy and let it go through you. And I think a lot of Pele talks about that, of sort of deliberately letting yourself go to those places and open yourself up to let that energy come through you. She opened up a lot on Boys for Pele, that's for sure. Many cans of worms. Oh my God, too many. Well, I mean, she even recorded the album next to a graveyard. So there is obviously the literal side of it. Um, There's, I think, a lot of literal sides to the Pele songs, and it's just as many sides that aren't literal. And that's what makes it both amazing at first and then you know a little frustrating but then you take time and time and time and those songs open up more and more and I think even just in researching this song now for me it's gone from a song that I thought of in one way to many different sides. I know because she probably was actually very literal in this song if she was recording next to a graveyard in the summer you know it's June she's going to the graveyard to sing him a song. Right. So our next quote from Inside Connection, June 1998. I'm not afraid of grief. You might cry. You might even cry so much that there are no more tears left inside of you that you feel you've become dry. But still your grief lets you make decisions and lets you grow as a person. Everything depends upon how you handle it. If you accept your grief, your loss, and your mourning, or if you try to push it away. I think you have to live through it. That's my personal belief because it has consequences. So what do you think of that quote, Peter? I think a lot of this is how do you let yourself be broken and accept that brokenness will help you get through things. And sometimes you have to let yourself be vulnerable to be able to get through it. And that grief, there are obviously many stages of grief, right? They talk, mm-hmm. And so understanding that you have to let yourself go through those and you can't shut yourself off from any of those stages it's really important as a as your own personal growth and your spirit growth yeah the longer you live the more grief you experience and I don't want to say the easier it becomes but you know how to manage it better I think the first time you experience a really sad grief it's really hard because no one really talks about grief we don't really discuss you know death and mortality out in public at Starbucks Um, (laughs) so we don't really know how to handle it I mean, you can read all the self-help books you want. You can go to therapy. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we're all still kind of trying to figure out our own way around it. I think also, right, there's the Kubler-Ross model, which is that there's five stages of grief, like denial and anger and bargaining. And so a lot of people talk about that as what you have to go through with grief. I think what Pele does a lot, too, is show that musically is that there's different stages to grief there's moments where grief is weirdly joyful because you're remembering that person and what they brought into your life or the parts of yourself that you were and 
not all of it is heavy and dark and horrible, that there's parts that make you laugh or make you want to be whimsical. And that's not all of it. There's so many sides to it. And so understanding and exploring what are those sides and letting yourself go there, I think that that's, to me, the essence of the album. And bringing back that wholeness of your character is actually understanding what that wholeness is. I like that. So because of the lack of quotes about the actual song Graveyard, because no interviewer is going to ask her about a B-side from 1996, um, we've primarily been giving quotes to what we feel are related to mortality and death um, around that time that she released the song. Um, In 2004, Tori's brother Michael passed away. And he was a big influence in her life, and it was a very tragic moment. I remember her touring in 2005, and it was, it really weighed heavily on her. And so we have a few statements about that. Um, the statement she put out in November 22nd, 2004, uh, after his passing, said, Michael was the one that brought Led Zeppelin into the house. He introduced me to all that was great about music. I will miss his presence on the planet but he will forever be on my shoulder whispering in my ear, energy, energy. It's a really beautiful statement about her brother passing. It is, because he was a huge influence on her musically. Um, And she talked about that a lot. I also love, obviously, the Toryism where she is capitalizing the M in music. That just feels so perfectly Tory intentional. That was very 2000s Tory. To uppercase, lowercase words, yeah. She's coming off the high of Scarlet's Walk and her just flagrant capitalizations. Yep, crazy. Capital C. Capital C. Um, Do you want to take the next quote? Well, can we say something about this quote? I think what I love here is that she's talking about her brother being on her shoulder, whispering in her ear, which I think gives, gives us a bit of a clue into how Tori thinks of the people in her life, especially if they've, as they've passed on how she interacts with them where they are to her so we come back to the song it's not just having to go to a graveyard to be able to access the things or the people that you've lost but that they're still with you right so graveyard has both symbolism and emotional ties to it but the fact that michael is going to be with her on her shoulder i think that that's it's a beautiful way to remember someone is they're still with you right they're still alive i'm still alive he's still alive yeah beautiful and it's interesting that i think a lot of her later songs kind of deal more with mortality um i maybe this was a turning point for her i wonder also if being able to be more open with in 2005 the fact that her brother had passed and letting that come on stage more and more grief and mortality started to shift to things that weren't her and her experiences but people that were close to her like her brother not just you know Mr. Jim or someone Marianne you know a a classmate of hers but actually her direct circle yeah and then allowing herself to go there more and talking about it and letting it be part of the show uh it's great that you bring that up because uh in 2012 from the Sydney Morning Herald uh we have a quote that's very similar to that where she says Through the death of my brother, Michael, I realized that mortality is a real thing. Before he died, I didn't think about mortality in the same way. It woke me up in a way to see just how fragile life is and how important it is to let the people you love know that all the time. 
um, which I think is very true. Um, especially recently, you know, she's been dealing with health problems with her mother. So I think it's it's hitting closer and closer to home for her. Um, I think she really is kind of realizing it and coming to terms. Um, and we're seeing that in her songs now with Beekeeper, maybe California, Carrie. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely starts to play a much more major role. It's not that obviously she wasn't surrounded by people that she'd lost. I mean, you have Taxi Ride, which is an incredibly touching tribute to someone who's important to you, but still isn't your brother. So yeah, I think it definitely starts to come more into the songs for her, for sure. Yeah. Do you want to read the last quote? Sure. So this is back to 2005 um, from the act. She says, he, Michael, is still on my guest list for every show because I feel a closeness to him. I feel his presence and he walks with me. Through the music, I feel like I'm able to communicate across the veil to the other side. I dance on the ends of the notes that take me through the dimensions to wherever he is. Of course, I don't know where he is, but I know that the music knows. That's a beautiful quote. What do you think that about is. that, Shags? I like that, especially because since this came out in 2005, I think about the song Toast, which I think is just so sad, um, but... In an uplifting way. I think it's the best way to honor someone, really. Yeah, I mean, Toast is definitely a moment that is pretty heartbreaking. But at the same time, you know, raising a toast in your honor and talking about things that brought her joy, like the Mr. Bojangles line. It just, it feels to me that she's she's hit a moment where she can see the beauty in the loss. But it's also, beauty is always bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Which is actually kind of appropriate for Graveyard. She's been able to kind of toe this line of, you know, being a little sad, but also happy at the same time. In a way, not many people can get away with. Yeah. I love that she says that Michael is still on her guest list for every show. For every show. Every show. He obviously plays a role in, you know, certain shows, themes will come out where it makes you think that maybe he's on her mind or... You know, certain themes that surround her family are on her mind. but Especially those North Carolina shows. Yeah. I mean, he he still plays a role. And I think especially on the last tour with her mother's health, it, it starts to mortality creeps in more and more. And, and not knowing where Michael is through the veil. I love how she says that, but that the music knows. So maybe, you know, her using that music to communicate with him is her way of keeping him alive yeah interestingly enough she has not played graveyard before toast ever i thought that was kind of interesting yeah. when i looked up those stats maybe it's too on the nose yeah i mean i it maybe it's too yeah too direct mm-hmm. so shall we do the line by line i love the line by line you let's do. do it let's do it he, 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 I when you first heard Graveyard, did you think she was saying the word here? <laughs> <laughs> or misheard just, lyrics. He, he, he. I thought it was that at first. Because there's a lot of he's in Boys for Pele. There's a lot of he's. It's, you know, <laughs> we are now being escorted off because Shags is doing his Sorry. Boys for Sorry. Pele he. Judy was not impressed by that he. <laughs> I wish I could do a Judy impression just to do your he. Um, but I never thought it was here until I saw the actual lyrics. I, I thought she was just kind of doing a melody. And I was like, here. Oh, okay. That works too. It seems a lot of times that she will do certain things to channel a song. 
and it's almost like you caught the end of her channeling at the beginning of the song, whether it's something on the piano or how she vocalizes a vowel or something, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, the even I said, yes said, he said, she said. There's something, it's like a trigger where she's sort of channeling and it's about to happen. And so that's how I always saw the beginning of the song. It's like you're seeing this moment sort of appear and that's how she's getting the music to come. Don't even let this go. What are we letting go? In 2019, I'm letting go of self-doubt. What do you think Tori was letting go in 1996? That's a great question, Shags. I think she was letting go of a lot. It was a pure divesting. It was. What she's letting go in here, I don't think we'll ever know. (laughs) It's a little vague. I know you shouldn't trespass or loiter or litter in a graveyard. Oh, is there a sign that says that? I think it's an unspoken rule. Okay. Well, I mean, you shouldn't litter in a graveyard. I think you could loiter in a graveyard. We're loitering right now. We are. We just don't have to litter. So if she's saying, don't even let this go... What is she holding on to? Is she holding on to anything? I think actually it's more of a, I'm just enjoying it. And for this moment, right, the song is only a minute. And I think she kind of feels like it's just a moment. And I think it's the don't even let this go is just breathe with it. Hold on to nothing as fast as you can. Still. That old man, is this the same old man from this old man? Well, I know you've been talking about this a lot. I know. I mean, it's on the same single. It is. So, is it? Or is it a reference to Tool's Mr. Jim coming up next? I don't think that they're the same person. But I do think that an old man... To me, there's sort of characters that come through Boys for Pele that either guide her through things or talk to her about certain emotions or certain things she needs to do to get through these periods of her life. And so... I always saw it as the old man here is more a figure of like almost like a shaman, like someone essentially like carrying her through. God like, with a lowercase g. Yeah. Like pointing her where she needs to go. He comes through. Because the way it's on the singles, it's very interesting. It's, it's sort of like a trilogy of the silly songs almost. Right. The way it goes, this old man, graveyard, toodles. Right. I think a lot of people make that trilogy happen but i'm not sure it's happening subscribe to that ideology i subscribe to a lot including our patreon (laughs) um do you think she told atlantic and east west like hey you got to put these three together in this order she certainly i think had to deal with a lot of record company blowback but i bet one thing that they didn't (laughs) sort of give her any grief on is how she wanted to sequence the singles it's like oh you want to call these silly songs sure let's do it coming out in france tomorrow I think when they saw the sandwich song show up, <laughs> they sort of threw their hands up and said, go for it. I'm coming in the graveyard with my little tool. So you're coming in the graveyard, Peter. <laughs> How dare you assume that's what I'm doing. So my friend at the warehouse that got me this single, she listened to it before I did. And she was, like, watching my reaction when I listened to this specifically. And she was like, you don't think it's dirty? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, she's ejaculating in a graveyard. Oh, my god! I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can I, you say what? that on Patreon? Oh, I can say anything I want on Patreon. I love it. Um, and I was like, no, 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 no. She's like, 
attending a graveyard. She's not. I definitely, it's so, I always thought that she just got the preposition wrong. That it was one of those moments where she's just singing along and the wrong preposition popped up and she went with it. Which is interesting because sometimes she will sing it and switch that word to going. Almost all the time it's going to the graveyard. I think she realized her mistake. Or coming to the graveyard. Yes. And also I wonder if when you're just leaving the church and you're walking over to the graveyard, it is like kind of coming in the graveyard because it's all one area. It's not like you're taking a trip to one specific place. You leave the church and you're in the graveyard. Right. And also in kind of represents more of a sphere. You're coming into something. You're entering into it. You're Mm -hmm. coming into the graveyard. And do you think this is the little tune that she's bringing to the graveyard? Do you think there's another song in her head? I think a lot of the B-sides to Pele are made up of little tunes in my mind, whether it's This Old Man, which is sort of a nursery rhyme, or even Amazing Grace, where you don't know every word to that. Oftentimes when you're singing it, you're just singing a couple lines. And so to me, a lot of Pele is just like these little tunes that are coming together that sort of make up a larger whole. And so I always thought this little tune, it wasn't graveyard, but it was something that... Something else that she's singing about. Yeah, but that it wasn't, it's nothing huge. It's just... Yeah, just a little hum. Yeah. Yeah. I also love the idea of maybe connecting it back to what she said about Michael, of how she didn't know where he was, but that music would find him across the veil. So maybe bringing a little tune into the graveyard is a way of accessing the people that you want to meet in the graveyard. Bringing that energy with you. Channeling. On its June, I said. June, the month June, or June, a person June? I think it's the month. Me too. But before we had the official lyrics, I always thought it was Joan. Oh. And so I was like, who's Joan? I have a grandmother named Joan. It's a grandmother name. It is. It really is. She and was I say and that... she was English, so it made sense to me. It makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, until we had the official lyrics, I always thought it also could have been Joe. Like, it, was, it wasn't too clear, really. But now that we have the official lyrics, it's June. It is. She said. I'm just waiting for them to use this for a sync licensing moment for The Handmaid's Tale. Elizabeth Moss's ah. character. Maybe. I mean, she has a new publishing company now, so maybe. And we're close to the Scientology church, which oh is... Oh my God, it's all happening. Yeah. It's all happening. 20 years later. Because um, she recorded this in the summer of 95, so it makes sense for yeah. it to be the month. You know, she's singing her little tune. She's saying, it's June. I love also that June isn't necessarily the month that you would connect with a graveyard. You know? It isn't. The middle of summer, yeah. I don't know about you, but whenever I've gone to graveyards, it's always been around the holidays with my family to go put wreaths on grandparents or great-grandparents. And so it's around Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's like moments of remembrance. But June, I don't really ever connect that with no. death. I only come to the graveyards to see movies. Meryl Streep only. And Naomi Watts. Okay, and Judy Garland. Yeah, and Judy Garland. Hi, Judy. You're my best Judy, Shags. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. And it's on tape. Can't get out of this one. She's gone, but I'm alive. I'm alive. And here's where, that's why I always thought it was Joan. Because she's saying she's gone. She's referring to Joan, but no, it's June. So now my whole perception of the song had to change. So she's gone, but Tori's alive. So we're talking about a female presence now. It's not always a female presence, though. 
right? I mean, she's talked about he's gone. Yeah, she's been very loose with these lyrics yeah. live. She plays it loose and fast. Wow. You said ejaculating. My friend said that. I was quoting. But yeah, this is another moment where, you know, it's a sad song, but then this phrase, I'm alive, repeated twice, it's very hopeful and promising. I also think she doesn't always believe in, like, the black and white of everything. So it's interesting that she's gone, but I'm alive is such a black and white statement. Very clear cut. Whereas she does talk about crossing the veil as being more of a fluid type thing. And so I think maybe even putting out sort of the black and white lyric here, well, maybe it's not that easy. Maybe it's not as easy as just she's gone, but I'm alive. It's like you feel like she's sort of joyful in the song in the at least the original recorded version it's like the piano is very upbeat and it's paced pretty quickly and so to me it's like she's gone but i'm alive is like well maybe she's also here with me i never saw it as like she's gone she's yeah gone forever like she's gone but kind of still here yeah and maybe the fact that these people who matter to her sort of are with her still even though she's alive you know michael on her shoulder whispering into her ear like She's gone, but I'm alive, and because I'm alive, they're still alive with me. Now that I see it repeated twice here, um, I'm reminded of the end of Hotel, actually, when she's saying I'm still alive over and over again, like a mantra it's almost. A mon- yeah. I think it's kind of interesting. You know, that just happened next album. It seems like she's very focused on that almost. I think this one feels less to me like mantra, like almost like I need to will myself into still being alive and more a reflection on her own mortality like I'm alive I'm alive but what does that mean and what you know why me and she's Mm -hmm. gone but I'm alive and yeah because with grief also comes guilt right like why am I alive when they're not I'm coming in the graveyard and here she is coming in the graveyard again one last time she can go multiple rounds. Oh, boy, you went there. I shouldn't have gone there. No, you shouldn't have. This is a silly song. She but set me up. Yeah, she did. To sing you to sleep. That actually reminds me of Merman. It does. A lot. Um, which she has not played with Graveyard. No. Which is interesting. Maybe, again, two on the nose. Interesting, the sort of the lullaby ideas allowing yourself to let go and find peace and make someone feel comfortable even if they're gone right yeah sing you to sleep nice little lullaby it's weird you know you don't necessarily think i'm gonna go to the graveyard to give something necessarily to the person you're going to see it's oftentimes you're taking from them you want to remember them you want to connect with them in some way and you know have those memories but instead she's coming there and she's gonna sing this person to sleep yeah. Um, so do you think she kind of kept this little bit and saved it for Merman? She definitely could have been workshopping it. She could have been. Because she does that from time to time. You see a lot of same themes. If it's a good line, it's a good line. It really is. Um, so what's your favorite lyrical moment from this song? There's so many. I feel like the lyrics to this were just a sketch in my mind because so many times when she sings it live, she changes the lyrics or she brings in a mention of someone else or changes the pronouns or changes the prepositions and sort of, it's so much more 
amorphous and not ambiguous, but you know, it changes so much more than almost any of her other songs. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think we'll get more into that in the live For sure. part. But yeah, definitely the way she, like I said, she's loose with these lyrics. Like she changes she to he, I'm to we. What about you? What's your favorite lyrical moment from Graveyard? I would say the second I'm alive, um, there's something kind of, I can't tell if it's heart wrenching or warming the way she delivers that second I'm alive, but it's definitive <laughs> in a way that I can't describe. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like that. Like, it, I guess it depends on my mood when I'm listening to it, like how I take it. I mean, I think it's interesting that she repeats the line for sure. Mm-hmm. Like so, it's kind of like a reminder. Yeah. And I think it's a reflection. I think a lot of this song is a reflection for her. It's a moment in time. And so it's that moment where she goes, huh, I'm alive. And I don't think it's, you know, forcing anything. It's just a commentary for her. We brought up how maybe she took a bit of this and put into Merman. I have a theory about Graveyard as a whole. Ooh. Um, we know Thoughts was an entry point she used to get into Girl mm-hmm. in the recording studio. Um, I think Graveyard was another entry point she used for a song on Pele. Which song? I have a theory it was the Father Lucifer Bridge. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know why, necessarily. Maybe because she mentions, you know, Joe bringing flowers to Marilyn's grave. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that graveyard aspect is in my head. Um, But I also think maybe Marianne. But I just feel like also the way um, she used an intro into Mary's of the Sea. Yeah. Um, kind of just kind of getting to the spirit of things. So I feel like this was one of those things where she was just kind of playing something to kind of get her in the, the spirit of something. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. Yes. Father Lucifer <laughs> Bridge. Love that. There is, I mean, that connects it also lyrically back to the album. Mm-hmm. The I graveyard aspect. Musically, one of the things that I love about this is that the recorded version is in the key of C, which is not necessarily a key that Tori writes in frequently oh. at all. Um, See, you're the musical person. I don't know any <laughs> about that. So please discuss because it, I'm fascinated. It came about so much more on Pele because I think that the key of C is something that is very reminiscent to the American South and very reminiscent to hymns and Christian hymns especially. Most hymns in Christianity are written in C or G, sometimes F. And so they share the same type of resonance. And so the songs on Pele, you have Putting the Damage On and Twinkle, which are both in C. And you have Graveyard. And then you also have moments in other songs. You have the Mother Mary part in Professional Widow, which is in C. And then you also have um, A minor songs, which is C, just the minor version, which is you have Way Down and then Little Amsterdam. So for me, as the chronology the album goes you have the mother mary line which is sort of like she will supply it's a little bit violent to me and sort of she talks about the violence and the hiddenness of the american south and why she wanted to record there and it kind of goes from that darkness you know then way down little amsterdam again that darkness and then sort of this moment of coming back to the i guess piece of that sound that gospel sound that hymn sound and it's why she uses a lot of organs and gospel on the album Mm -hmm. you know choirs and so you have putting the damage on and then i always saw graveyard is coming before twinkle because it's got very much the same chord structure and so Mm -hmm. me as she's talking about using music to connect with other spirits and 
crossing the veil and using music as a language, essentially, I look at it like it's its own language. So how it connects in with the other songs. And a lot of the other B-sides, you have Amazing Grace, you have Alamo, which is um, and Beulah Land, which are written in very similar keys as well. So it's got that gospel American South feel to it. And I think musically, that's what I love how it connects to the other songs. It feels like it, it sits in with what she's trying to uncover musically as well. I like that. It's interesting that you keep bringing up Twinkle because the more you say Twinkle, I'm looking at that She's Gone But I'm Alive lyric, and there's a death in Twinkle that she references. Yeah. So, yeah, that, maybe this was an entry point into Twinkle. And it's got that lullaby feel, too. Yeah. And not to get too technical, but there's something that she does. You love getting technical. <laughs> I'm so ready. But she does this thing where she plays with the major seventh in which most sounds crazy. But she yes. does this thing with twinkle, twinkle where it goes up to the major seventh and then it resolves. And it goes up to the major seventh and resolves. And it's this thing that creates a little bit of tension even in a lullaby. So you have this thing that's supposed to feel very solid and very um, familiar. But there's this moment of tension. And she does that with Graveyard. She ends on a tension note she ends on a major seventh and then comes back with sleep and she resolves it and so it's got this kind of kindness to it and compassion because she's resolving that note and kind of I've always felt like that that's how the lullaby works is with Tori's it's never just as easy as I'm gonna make you feel good it's I'm gonna make you feel something and tension does that she's good like that she is she knows how to pull those heartstrings what would you say your favorite vocal moment of the song is, Peter? I love the way she says, my little tune, it's June. I just love that little phrase and how she sings it. What about you, Shags? I think the second time she says, I'm coming in the graveyard, there's a sort of jovial <laughs> aspect to it. You dirty minds out there. That's not what I was thinking. But no, she just kind of like raises her voice a little the second time and turns a sad song into a happy song. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a listen to Yanta's cover, God Bless Yanta. You can support him, and you should, by going to patreon.com slash Yanta. Here's Graveyard. Take it away, Ollie. So here we are in the graveyard. What are your thoughts right now? It's a beautiful night. And it reminds me a lot of, actually, one thing we didn't talk about yet is in Neil Gaiman's book, The Graveyard Book, which is about a kid that essentially gets raised by ghosts in graveyard. Um, I think it'd be fun for us to maybe talk to some of our friends in this graveyard. What do you think? Oh, maybe. Maybe we can conjure up some spirits. Some friendly spirits, let's hope. Some ghouls. Definitely ghouls. Wait, who is 
that behind that tombstone over there? Oh my God, is that Ephraim? And Hello. David? Eve. Hi. I can't Hi. see you. Oh my God, they look so thin. <laughs> and so pale. God, it only took dying for me to hear that from someone. Thank you. Aww. Oh I think God. I was in heaven. What are you so, guys doing out here? Uh, we're just, you know, recording a podcast in the graveyard. Oh, fun. fun. That sounds fun. As one does. Uh, yeah. On a Sunday night. Yeah. The world's changed since we left. Oh, so much. <laughs> so much. Oh my gosh. I'm exhausted. It takes a lot of energy to manifest here on the, the physical plane. It really really so. does. <laughs> Exhausted as well. We have to sit. Have you guys seen Judy Garland on the other side? I haven't, but I haven't been looking. Okay. I have been very, very busy. I'm wow. in Latino gay male heaven. Just oh, wow. A bunch of neck tattoos everywhere. Oh, it's gosh. really lovely. Are you in heaven or hell? <laughs> heaven. One can never tell. Sometimes I just peep in on Eve and his Latino male heaven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Much as in life, I'm always on the outside looking in. <laughs> Not a lot of play for me. I will say all gays do go to heaven, though. Just to let you know. That is good to know for the future. I mean, it kind of makes me feel a little bit better about the past I've had. (laughs) Since we are in a graveyard, are you guys buried here at all or no? Well, yes. So I was able to afford that big plot over there. Oh, mm-hmm. the nice. big one with, the, with the, my portrait on it. I think that's Judy Garland. No, 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 next to her. Oh, that's next to her. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. So that's where I rest. Where, where do you rest? In? I don't know where my remains ended up. I requested to have my bones um, deposited in the trunk of a car in a junkyard, like Freddy Krueger. So I'm hoping someone respected those oh. wishes. Hopefully, I mean. People should respect the wishes of the dead. I agree. I should have had a will. They just got so busy. Yeah. (laughs) I just love a great epitaph. So I love, Eve, what you're giving us over here. Your epitaph is amazing. Can you read it out for us? Sure. Um, You know, I had written my epitaph years prior, and it's, he found what he loved, and he let it kill him. What was yours, David? He died doing what he loved. Inanna or whoever. (laughs) Oh, you too. Shaggy's as tired of us in death as he was in life. (laughs) (laughs) Barely be bothered. You too. Oh, you too. (laughs) So, how's the world been since we left? Um, How's the presidency? Next topic. (laughs) How's DJ Mateo Sagade, Peter? There's too much to say. It's too juicy. Oh, God. Oh, my Lord. I miss him most of all. He'll play General Joy for you, that's for sure. Oh, he did when I was alive. As a dance remix. So, the afterlife, guys... Any regrets? It's oh, are you kidding? Oh, Thousands. <laughs> the afterlife is wild. I'm gonna dangle a little carrot for you, alivos. That's what we call you. Oh, it's our derogatory it's term. I like alivos. that actually. You alivos. Those alivos. Um, when you die, you absolutely get the chance to ask for the answers to all the questions that you pondered while you were alive. You can ask anything you want. So obviously, the first thing I asked was, "What did Tori Amos mean?" when she said building. <gasps> was it a noun or a verb? And what did he say? I can't tell you. What? That's the thing. Yeah. No, we were like, about we to get the, the exclusive. No, I know. I know. We get the answers, but we can't <sighs> bring them back if for whatever reason we're called yeah. back into the dimension. We can't bring I, the like answers Like as soon as us. they sense that yeah. you're trying to say it, yes. Some things are meant back. to be known and understood. Your mere mortal mind would implode. But I'm glad that they told you because that's the first question I asked as well. And I was like so relieved to hear the answer. Right? What about you? <laughs> oh, I was relieved too. Yeah, weird. It was can, crazy. Can you like give us a hint? Like say either verb or noun. Yes. We're just going to exchange a knowing glance. Mm-hmm. It, and when you look mm-hmm. in our dead eyes, you mm-hmm. will know the answer. Right. Oh. That's the most that we can. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel that. I yeah. feel that. You see. Okay. Good. Good. Well, it's nice to know that, you know, everyone will know the answer to that when question they pass on. once they pass yes. on. What are you going to ask? 
I'll put in a good word for it. Um, what does the word property mean? Mm, mm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because there are, at least in gay Latino heaven, there's nothing but property there. Wow. So let that be a clue. Oh, mm. oh, I'm looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if David told you, but we, when you get to the afterlife, you get to pick what era that you live in based <gasps> oh, on Tory Tour. So what era yeah, would so you guys? I stayed in 96. Likewise. Yeah. We call it the Do Drop Dead Tour, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. still. So it, is it like the unplugged tour? Like mm, that's life called, support's gone. Right, yeah, kind of. You guys would be surprised how close Beetlejuice and the Crypt Keeper got to the afterlife. Yeah. It's very punny. Oh. It's very pun-filled. Oh. It's fun. Yeah. I don't go out much, though. Well, where are you going to go? You've made it to your final destination, so... <laughs> Um, any other questions for us, you guys? Um, I will suggest to have your affairs in order. Death can come as quite a surprise. I, it, it, for me, it happened, I was at the beer bust where I slipped and hit my head on the urinal and that was it. My number was up. What about you, David? How did it happen for you? I passed out at Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando. Again? <laughs> I, just, I just decided, I know, hundreds of times, but it was the last one. I just decided, mm. you know what? This is where I want to go. Right. It's never going to get any better than this. Halloween Horror yeah. Nights. Yeah. Oh, is it? Is it time for us to go back? Oh, no. Oh. I feel like we just now got to see you guys. I know. Well, it was fun seeing you again. Yeah. We'll save a spot for you, for you for sure. It's well, kind of like tour. You need to make your arrangements and have a plan ahead right, of time. Like, right, know right. whose car you're going to be riding in. Oh, yes. That's very important. Or know whose car you're not going to be riding mm-hmm. in. Exactly. But I will say something. Up Upstairs, there's a very long front row. Oh, like Massey Hall. And all of the seats are center. Oh, Beautiful. Except for some people, you know who you are, who will be trapped in a perpetual eternity of glittery folds. That sounds like the premise to the good place. (laughs) Well, this has been fun. (laughs) I'm glad we came jetting across the universe for this. I know. You know what happens sometimes. Is there anybody you want us to say hi to when we go back? Judy Garland. We're curious about her opinions about Tori almost covering over the rainbow and have yourself a merry little Christmas. Okay, well. So... I think we'll come back for those episodes okay. here. And if you could bring her with you. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to get her. Great, we'll see if we could peel her away from Buddha for two goddamn seconds. Oh, oh, they are always together. Holding hands. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah, it's we'll like, see. I mean, just like five minutes of her time. Right. I'm sure she'll, she's kind of cool. She's a little cold. She's kind of cool. cool. She's fine. Yeah, well, thanks for um, popping in, hopping in, ghosted in. Like swooping in. I I guess it's the opposite of ghosting. Yeah, it's really nice not to be ghosted by these two. I'm ghosted. Yeah. Yeah. Will you sing us a song to sleep? Yeah, I guess we can sing a song as we go. All right, count us in. A one, two, three, four. Oh, what a breath of fresh air those two are. They are just the best. We should bring them on more. You know, we should. What a fresh voice. Maybe next week. We'll see if they're free. They're so Pretty busy. close by. They do. Yeah, I miss them. We should have them on more. We should. We'll think about it. Let us know what you think, people. Tweet at us. Facebook us. Instagram us. We love an Instagram story. Yes, please tag us if you got the posters. We want to see all those posters they're framed so... and dried on your wall. <laughs> So let's do the live section, which I'm actually really looking forward to because, like I said, this is really the song from her catalog that she's really more artistically creative with. Yeah. Don't you think also when you talk to people about Graveyard, you can almost, you can't usually talk about it without talking about it live. People always want to talk about 
how it connects to other songs or how it connects to certain experiences she's had or certain shows. It definitely feels like one of her songs that almost lives in the Why? live setting. Well, think? it's actually the most played Paley B-side. Oh, really? Of her catalog, 67 times. I think the next one after that is Rock on My Toe with 44. Oh, okay. So it's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. And um, yeah, like pairing it with songs, the most she's ever played it before was Tear in Your Hand. Uh, was 17 times out of those 67 times. Um, that was the first time I heard it, was in A Tear in Your Hand. Yeah, because in the 90s, she was obsessed with playing it before Tear in Your Hand. Like, when you heard Graveyard Live in 98 and 99, you were like, oh, Tear in Your Hand is next. It was a goodbye Pisces China moment. So when it wasn't next, it was like, wait, what? It kind of threw you for a loop. Yeah. Um, it is interesting how she's been more creative since 99 with it, because I think you told me she hasn't played it with tear in your hand since 2001 right? yeah that was the last time she paired it yeah okay so let's go to 1996 um where she played it seven times which was 3.8 percent of the shows and the first time being in san jose on july 14th 1996 where she played it in the encore before pretty good year and she says beforehand that it was a request so someone clearly asked for it at a meet and greet so let's listen to that okay this is just a quick little one for this little person that was so sweet. Okay, here, you ready? So already from the first appearance of this song live, she's switching up the lyrics. Yeah. Coming to going, she to he. That's what makes me think that when she recorded it, it really just was a moment. And those poor lyric transcribers at Atlantic Records. Oh, so sorry about that, guys. So then she played this song a total of four times that year in July. And then she completely forgot about it until October where she played it three more times. Um, and I find that to be a pattern with this song, actually, where she kind of remembers she has this song, <laughs> and then she plays it constantly in this group, like really rapidly, show after show after show, and then we'll just forget about it. Yeah. Until like someone reminds her, she's like, oh yeah, I have that song. <laughs> and then she'll, again, we'll get it in groups. People at meet and greets remind her of her songs. I don't have a song called Samurai. But I do have one called Graveyard. So out of those seven times, two of them were before Tear in Your Hand, and one each for Pretty Good Year, Pass the Mission, Crucify, Happy Phantom, and Cornflake Girl. And Happy Phantom kind of seems like an obvious choice, but that's actually been the only time she's played it before Happy Phantom. Interesting. That song is before, I mean, a bunch of sort of church-focused songs. You have Crucify, Pass the Mission, Happy Phantom. And yeah. Crucify, um, I think it's she's done in a couple times actually i think i want to say four yeah she did it with the Balois session yeah we're still not quite sure about that write us at songs of tori amos facebook us okay let's hear some more this is july 17th in seattle 
and this is October 30th in Oklahoma City. Okay there? You didn't get shocked? Shock to my system, Shags. Sh -sh shock me, sane. <laughs> so now we find ourselves in 1998 on the plug tour where she did it a total of 18 times, which equates to 14.1% of the shows. But she did not play this until St. Louis on August 26. Um, and interestingly enough, this is the one that just blows my mind. She played it before a waitress. And I just cannot see that pairing in my mind, like playing this little ditty and then going into Hang Ten Honey for <laughs> nine minutes. No sense. It makes no sense to me. And but that's how she decided to do this. Something in the St. Louis. Something. Someone received. Someone reminded her, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I have that song. Let's hear it. Roll it, Ollie." So she played it twice in August, that tour, no times in September, and she couldn't stop playing it in October and November, and only one time in December because the tour was winding down. Sad face. Um, the interesting thing about the Providence show was she did it a cappella before Tear in Your Hand. I just think it's a very interesting choice to kind of sing it a cappella. So roll it, Ollie. really eerie without the piano it's a completely different take on the song totally different the way she repeats it almost slower the second time yeah 
She um, definitely plays with attention a lot there. Yeah. Especially as she took it like up higher and then brought it lower with like all the energy when she was repeating it. I mean, that's it just. Yeah, it keeps you on the edge of your seat, which is Ugh. yeah, chills. Chills. And that was before a tear in your hand too. Interestingly enough, not before a super sad song. Right. But interesting. Um, some other standouts from '98. Uh, we have Louisville, Kentucky, where she goes right back to the piano like it never happened. October 28th. Roll it, Ollie. And now we have Evanston, Illinois, October 29th, uh, with a little bit of Kane at the beginning because it sounds like he's probably ready to play past the mission. And she's like, nope, gotta sing this little silly song first. Gotta keep him on his toes from the very beginning. I know, right? Only the second song in. My God. Talk so about listen. the safety net being taken out from under you. Let's listen to Evanston. Roll it, Ollie. <laughs> ourselves in 1999 thinking about crimping our hair did you crimp your hair i wish i did but i definitely wore those giant cargo pants and oh my god we all did it was important to have cargo <sighs> thanks old navy I had a lot to carry performance fleece so yes the five and a half weeks tour she played it seven times which was 17.5 percent of the shows the tour debut was in Washington, D.C. on August 25th. So interesting to note that of the seven times she played this, six were in front of Tear in Your Hand and one was in front of Cornflake Girl. Um, all with the band portion of that tour, never when she went out solo after that. So she kind of tends to lean more to play the song with the band. So here we have August 25th where she mentions Marianne. <laughs> Thank you. 
And now Camden, New Jersey from August 27th, where she mentions Phoebe and I just feel you today. And again, interesting to note that she's grouping all these really close together. It's like, again, like she remembers she has these song, this little song. So she's played this 25th to 27th and she just keeps on going with it. Saratoga Springs, New York, August 29th. So now we find ourselves in 2001 on the Strange Little Tour, where she only played this once at the very last stop on the tour in San Diego on November 20th on the early show, not to be confused with the late show. This is the very last time she plays it before a tear in your hand, ever. What do you think about that, Peter? It's kind of interesting that it didn't show up at all on this tour, especially being a solo tour and a lot of the thematic elements that she brought out along the way. It just... It's kind of surprising that it doesn't make any type of surgence until the very last stop. Right when you think you know her and what she's going to do and what she's going to play, she just doesn't. Snatches it away. She does, which you find further along with this song. So like in 2001, you know, we were dealing with a lot. She didn't play it. In 2005, we'll get to that, but I'll just mention it now. She was dealing with a lot and she um, didn't play it at all. It is interesting considering that she in 2001 is touring a nation that has just dealt with such incredible violence enacted towards it and with that you know questions of mortality and permanence and death and it doesn't really come into it at all so let's listen to san diego november 20th 2001 take it away ollie
So now we find ourselves on the Scarlet's Walk tour. And interestingly enough, she also only plays it one time this tour um, on a very special show in Boise on April 6, 2003, on a show that she dedicated to the first female American soldier that was killed in the Iraq War, Lori Ann Paistuya. That's an interesting show because she plays it before Not the Red Baron. And that's one song to me that has this relentless musical quality to it where it never stops. The piano just keeps on going and keeps on going and there's never a rest. And in Graveyard, when she records it, it's very similar. There's little to no rest. It's very relentless musically. And actually, Yanta's cover, you can hear that. It just keeps, it's propelling forward. And what I love is when she takes it in concert, it often she adds those rests in. She lets you have a moment to think and reflect with it. And so I think when playing it at the show, right, in tribute to a sort of fallen soldier, it, she gives it that moment to rest, which is nice. Yeah, and she does a nice little improv before it, too. We'll play that, and you can almost hear that she was about to play Not the Red Baron, and then she goes into the improv, and then into Graveyard, and then into Not the Red Baron. I think it's an interesting choice.
So since she doesn't play it in 2005 at all, we're skipping right ahead to 2007 on the American Doll Posse tour, where again, she only plays it once. So in 2009, again, she starts grouping it together because she remembered she has it. So she played it a lot at the beginning of the tour, um, like almost show after show after show before Cornflake Girl. Um, I remember that very well. And then once at the end in Warsaw, I think it's kind of interesting because that was before Upside Down. There's something very interesting to that one. Um, so let's start with Seattle, July 10th, 2009. <laughs> And now we have San Jose, July 14th. July 14th was when she debuted it in San Jose, but back in 96. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Graveyard. You deserve it. Um, so now we have the Warsaw version from October 10th, uh, 2009, where it's quite interesting. It's a beautiful version of it. Very, probably the most interesting and diverse rendition, yeah. I'd say. October 10th, 
In 2009, she played a total of seven times, which equates to 11.5% of the shows. Let's go to 2011, the Night of Hunters tour, where she played a total of 15 times, which equates to 31.9% of the shows. And this was, of course, the tour where she was doing little songs here and there while the quartet was tuning, so it came out a lot more this tour. I think a lot of those little songs also gave us a little bit of insight into where she was because it wasn't like she was just playing them transactionally. I mean, that version of Landslide from 2011 is, I think, one of the most emotional things that she's done. I mean, that whole I'm getting older too motion, you know, that moment that she's talking about there, it's it's pretty heartbreaking. And I think a lot of those in-between songs, actually, they weren't just to let set up the quartet, but they, they kind of set the tone, I think, for a lot of the shows. It did, I think, because um, she also did Scarborough Affair, Way Down, a lot more. Yeah. She also had that version of God going into Running Up That Hill, or Ruth, affectionately. R-U-T-H. Um, R-U-T-H. But that also, I remember that crazy red lighting behind that song. And yes. When that song came on second, I always felt like we're in for it. You and know, you were. Hold your armrest because it's going to happen. We're coming in the graveyard. Oh, <laughs> Make it stop. Um, interestingly enough about the Night of Hunters tour, of the 15 times she played this, 14 of them were in Europe. And only one in the U.S. at the end, like she forgot. So here we have the tour debut in Helsinki on September 28, 2011. Roll it, Ollie. Now we have Moscow on October 2nd. Warsaw again. What's going on, Warsaw? We must have someone going to those Warsaw meet and greets just requesting it every tour. to the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour in 2014 and 15, where she played it five times, which equates to 6% of the shows. And again, Warsaw comes up June 12th. Cool. 
quickly she changes it. We're going to the graveyard to sing us to sleep. And I always love that it's sing us to sleep instead of sing you. So all of a sudden now she's part of something that maybe she had been external from before. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty convinced there's a graveyard fanatic in Warsaw that somehow we missed for this episode. I also wonder graveyard being in Poland, you know, with the history of that country and sort of, especially with the world wars, which play into part of Pele as well, like the death and darkness that has happened in that part of the world and sort of taking a moment to reflect and center herself where she is. Um, So this Warsaw clip, she plays it before Blood Roses which I think is an interesting choice. It's a very interesting combination. Um, I like it. And this is the first tour we really see where she kind of spaces them out a lot more, um, playing them in front of a lot of different songs. So we have two times before Crucify, one time before Frog on My Toe, which I think is interesting, two Pele B-sides back-to-back, the one time before Blood Roses, and then one time before Bliss. That combination with Bliss is an interesting That is an interesting choice yeah and now we have basil on november 6 2015 going to the graveyard with my little tune it's june i said It feels to me that you're alive When I see you paint the sky Sometimes it feels you're alive, you're alive When I look up at the sky It feels to me I'm going to the grave Which brings us to the Native Invader Tour, where she played it six times for a total of 12.2% of the shows. And we had the tour debut in Frankfurt, Germany, September 16th. Take it away, Ollie. So this is the tour you didn't know what you were going to get after Graveyard. No. No, because it was a different song each time. We had Jackie's Strength, Donut Song, Carrie, Pass the Mission, Marianne, and the last time Operator in Chicago. Yeah, it sort of stopped being what you'd expect going into certain songs like Cornflake Girl or Tear in Your Hand or certain things like that and going into instead songs that really were about major moments of mortality or loss or that intensity of emotion. And I think that sort of fit the tour more, fit the the tone. I agree. I think it's interesting that it's in front of so many different songs now. 
because um, I like this pairing of Carrie, Marianne, and Jackie's. Donut Song is an interesting one to choose as well. And now we have the last time it was played in Chicago on October 27th, 2017. Played for our dear friend Robin. We miss you, Robin. to the end of another episode. I feel great. The sun has set over the graveyard. The crows are cawing. Might you say it's twilight shags? I might, but I won't. the Up the Creek, The Boy Who Can remix. I say we head out of this graveyard, Chags. I agree. Before they kick us out. Or we could just have a sleepover with Judy. Did you bring your Ouija board? Ooh. We could knock out a few more episodes. I think we should come back here for the Over the Rainbow episode with the Ouija board. You know where I'll be. Mm Mm-hmm. If you like what we do, follow us on all our social media at Songs of Tori Amos. If you really like what we do, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Songs of Tori Amos. Don't forget to leave a message on our hotline, 323-296-9955. Email us at songsoftoriamos at gmail.com and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, songsoftoriamos.com. Rate and review us on iTunes and don't forget to listen to our other show, Never Shut Up, five days a week. Thank you for listening and see you next time for... What song is it again, Peter? You never know what's going to come after Graveyard. <laughs> Spooky. Ooh. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.